Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Welcome once again to Crosspoint. Glad you're here. Um, uh, my name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here if we haven't had a chance to meet. Uh, but if this is your first time or maybe you uh, haven't been in a while, this is actually a great Sunday to jump in because uh, we just started a new series as we are going to be working our way through the book of Acts. And it's a big book. And so we'll be in it for a while and we're going to approach it from a few different angles. But uh, it's great to be able to jump in on the early side of things. And uh, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 26 today, so if you have a digital Bible, awesome, physical one, awesome. There's one in the information rack in front of you if you don't have one and want to follow along. But as you do that, you might notice that uh, in chapter one, at the heading of that book, you'll see Acts, and oftentimes there's a little subtitle underneath it that says, of the apostles. And that's generally what we think of when we think of the book of Acts. It's the things that the apostles, disciples, followers of Jesus did. But it's interesting, you know, that we've, we've been, be, been becoming more aware, and there's a number of scholars and like Bible nerd type people who have looked at this and said, hey, actually, that's like not the best way to describe what's happening in the book of Acts. Actually, probably the best way to describe it is this is, this is maybe better named the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, people empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be sure, but really the book of Acts is about what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so if we look, you know, at our Bibles in the New Testament, we have the Gospels and we have the life and story of Jesus when he was physically here on this earth. And then in Acts, uh, we get the follow-up to that, and that's the, that's the story of the Holy Spirit. He's really the main character, and I think that's important to recognize as we walk through it. And what we see the Holy Spirit do, what we see this main character in the book of Acts do, is he's basic, he basically breaks out of every single box that people and culture and bias and uh, selfishness, all these different things, all these, all these boxes that people try to put the Holy Spirit in to make him work for them, he continuously just busts out of it over and over and over again. We see, as we, you're going to see this as we walk through the book of Acts, that he's breaking out of these like traditions that were instigated to like keep people held down. We see him break out of hypocrisy, moral hypocrisy. We see him break out of these like ethnic divides and boxes that people put themselves and other people in. We see him break out of these social status lines and boxes that people put each other in, and even the the dysfunctional nationalistic tendencies like Matt talked about last week, uh, where the the disciples, they were super obsessed with Israel being like the top dog and being a powerhouse, and, and we see the Spirit breaking out of every single one of those categories, and he's like, you can't define me, man. Here we go. You follow what I'm gonna do. And we get to see that as we walk through uh, the book of Acts, and it's awesome. It is a really cool thing to get to witness, especially if we're looking for it. And the story definitely starts with a bang, like Jesus is back, he's alive. We see him ascend to heaven and promising to return. Matt got to talk about that last week. And next week, we get to see the Holy Spirit burst onto the scene in a really powerful way that causes, causes like a lot of awesome havoc in the, the lives of these people and in the greater world. And it really kickstarts the whole narrative of the book. And Matt gets to talk about that one too. And uh, 
What we get to talk about today is the passage that lands right smack dab in the middle of those two awesome events. And I won't lie, at first I was a little salty about it because it's, uh, it's the famous, universally beloved story that you've heard since you were a child of the disciples replacing Judas with a guy named Matthias, right? Everyone's favorite Bible story. Most of you are looking at me like deer in a headlights, like, I don't remember hearing that one growing up. It's because you didn't. It's not, it's not one of those stories that gets a ton of attention. And if we're being really honest, it feels like one of those passages where uh, it's in there, and you know it's necessary for the story, but you're kind of like, what in the world am I supposed to gain from this? What am I supposed to walk away from understanding new about God's heart or about my relationship to God? It seems kind of random or disconnected or just a transition in literature or maybe like an ex- exposition dump. Like, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to be uh, going in here and understanding. And the reality is we believe all scripture is from God. It's important. It's helpful. It's useful for teaching, correcting, growing in righteousness, growing in relationship with God. But I also think if, if we're honest and I think church should be a place where we can be honest, sometimes we just don't get what some passages have to do with anything. And I think this is one of them. Because I could literally tell you this story of this passage in one sentence. They went back, prayed, rolled some dice to decide who would replace Judas. The end. We're done. Let's pray. Let's go home. Like, that, that is like pretty much the Cliff Notes version of this passage of Scripture. And sometimes I think that's our tendency to read passages of Scripture, points in the Bible that don't seem to connect to what uh, some of the more exciting stuff, our tendency is to just rush past them and get to the good stuff. Rush past them and get to the Holy Spirit falling with like tongues of fire. That's exciting. Let's get to that, right? But what we see so, so often is how when we slow down, we run at such a breakneck pace when it comes to receiving and processing information. We really do. Uh, And if we're willing to slow down a little bit, we actually will get to see things that we couldn't before because we were sprinting as fast as we could past them to get to the next thing. And I think this passage is no exception. I believe that what these next handful of verses do is they actually give us a really good peek at what the human component to the book of Acts looks like. If the story of the book of Acts is really the story of the Holy Spirit, then we can be left saying, okay, then what exactly is our job then? What are we supposed to do? Just like wait around and hopefully he'll use us or is there something that we need to be doing in the meantime? I think this passage can help us start to see exactly what our part is, what our partnership is in what the Spirit is doing. I think the reason that it points to this is because the people that we see in these next few verses is the same group of people that we get introduced to in the Gospels, but they look so different from each other. The people, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, those who are walking with him and learning from him, they respond so differently in the Gospels than they do in these few verses that we're about to read. And yes, they've seen Jesus uh, alive, back from the dead. They've seen him ascend into heaven, but we also know they haven't received the full power of the Holy Spirit Yet, and so we're left asking the question, okay, then what changed for these people? Why are they responding so differently? I think that's the question that that we want to dig into today. And so I'm actually going to say it right before we ever even get into reading the passage because I want us to have a lens to look at this passage through and be able to see what it is that God's bringing up to us. I believe 
that the next few verses we're going to read together boils down to one word for me, and that's the word submission. In these few verses, we see a growing. It's not perfect. The whole rest of the book, we're going to continue to see additional growth in this area, but we are seeing a growing willingness on the part of the disciples and the followers of Jesus to submit to Jesus' way of doing things. That when what they want and what they think is best comes into conflict with what Jesus says, they are increasingly willing to defer to what Jesus says. All the way from like their deeply rooted biases to how they see each other, to where they go and when they go and why they go there. We more and more, as we get to see these people, we get the picture that they just really, really want to do what Jesus says above anything else. And nothing's going to hold them back from doing that. How are they making that happen? It sure seems like from this passage, they're making that happen by developing this posture of submission. But that's not our initial instinct, that submission would be a good thing to pursue. For most of us in this room, right? Already, there's some people in here who you hear that word submission, and already you're like feeling a little defensive, right? That like makes you feel a little bit squirmy to be told that we need to pursue submission. Because in our culture and in our world and in our felt experience, submission is not painted in a positive light. We know this. It has a bunch of negative baggage, negative connotation to it. In our world, when we think of people who are submissive or when we think of submission, it's so often associated with weakness and powerlessness, maybe laziness even, failure. Like we look around our world and we see that the the people with the most power, the people with the most wealth, the people with the most success, the real go-getters of the world are not people who are submissive. They're, They're assertive. They're maybe even aggressive and maybe even that's okay as long as they can get what they need to. They always find a way to, to get on top. The dream in our culture and in many cultures around the world, be your own boss, right? You don't have to answer to anybody else but yourself. We absolutely love our rights because it means they're things that have been given to us that we are in charge of and we get to decide what we do with them. And we've convinced ourselves that nothing feels better than to be the one calling the shots in our life, going where we want to go, when we want to go there, doing whatever we want to do while I'm there. And the idea or the call or even just the, the smell of having to give that up, even to Jesus, is really threatening. And I think we need to acknowledge that. We need to just be honest. We don't need to play down with God. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows what's going on in our world. Let's just acknowledge that when we hear a call to submission, it's threatening. It was incredible. I was, we, there's a group of people who come in here and pray uh, for the person who's speaking and the people who are playing and in all of you. And uh, we meet before this, the first service and uh, as we were, as I was kind of explaining, hey, this is what we're going to be talking about this morning. One of the people in that room, George Turner, he's like, "Whoa, it sounds like what you're saying. It feels kind of threatening, don't you think?" And I was like, "Interestingly enough, yes, that is literally the word that I have in my notes because I feel that too." And I think it is worth it is worth in this process for us to just acknowledge that God is exactly aware of what He's calling us to do, but what we find in this passage is that this growing submission that we see in these followers of Jesus is exactly what changes these followers of Jesus. 
And not, and not only changes them, prepares them for what the rest of their life and story is gonna look like as we continue to look at it in the book of Acts. And so let's take a look at this passage, and I think you'll see what I mean. I think we'll be able to see this call to submission um, and what it does in the life of someone who's willing to step into it. So what we see at the end of the passage that Matt preached on last week is really the one thing that Jesus tells his disciples to do after he ascends, or before he ascends into heaven is to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. That's what he says to do. Go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit, okay? And uh, out of that piece of instruction, out of that command, this is where we pick up reading what we're gonna look at today. This is their response to that command. In verse 12, it says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away, which means it wasn't very far. They weren't supposed to travel super far on the Sabbath. And when they entered, they went up to the upper room. A lot of people believe that's the same place that Jesus shared communion with his disciples, had that last supper together where they were staying. And the whole crew was there, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas son of James. So the 12 disciples minus one, Judas Iscariot, so 11 of them gathered together. Judas had already betrayed Jesus and had already taken his own life, and, and that will get referenced later as well. Verse 14 says, all these with one accord, with sense of unity, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Okay, so what's happening here? I know it seems very, very simple. They actually did what Jesus told them to do. <laughs> Amazing. It's like, yay, you went home, you prayed, you were good to each other? Bunch of real saints over here, way to go, right? And it seems like such a small thing, but like when we get the greater picture of like the, the trajectory of these disciples, this actually is a pretty big deal. Because what we see in them in this passage is we see, this is the first thing, a growing submission to Jesus' timing and his instructions. A growing submission to Jesus' timing and instructions. I believe it shows this because of the contrast that we get to see, having the big picture, between the Gospels crew and the Acts crew. I cannot help but let my mind run a little bit to think, how would the disciples have responded to this command if, if they were still functioning like they were, like we see them function in the Gospels? Because when we, when we look at their story in the Gospels, I would not categorize these people as a patient group of people that were good at following instructions. We do not get a lot to support that, right? We see that the disciples were constantly badgering Jesus about what was next. Hey, when are you gonna take over? When are you gonna take over? When are you gonna take that throne? When do we get our throne? When are you gonna overthrow the Roman government? They're like toddlers in the backseat of a car. We there yet? We there yet? We there yet? We there yet? And they're like the worst kind of toddlers because they're doing that and they're hitting each other on the side, trying to tear each other down because we see plenty of examples of that in there as well. I could totally see the disciples of the Gospels saying, yeah, you know what? I know Jesus told me to go and to wait, but like, you know what would be a better idea? What if we didn't do that? What if instead we just got going on this? Like, obviously Jesus would rather us like get going on this thing that he wants us to do. It seems important. We probably can figure it out on our own. We've got some experience. I don't even know if he's coming back. So let's just go get started on this thing. Or maybe, maybe like depending on their wiring, because we've certainly seen the disciples abandon Jesus oftentimes in the Gospels. Maybe they'd walk away saying, hey, you know what? 
kind of strapped for cash. There's no way that I can like live in Jerusalem for a while just waiting for this undetermined date later on. Maybe I should go back and like pick up fishing again. Maybe get, get, get some money, get the business going. Maybe I'll swing back around Jerusalem at some point and see if the Holy Spirit is there. This seems like a much more likely course of actions from the gospel's disciples, but it's not at all what they choose to do in Acts. What they decide to do? They decided to do what Jesus said. They went and they waited. They submitted to his timing and did what he told them to do. And it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? They went back to this place that held such significance. They gathered people who usually weren't allowed to be a part of this into the mix, like Jesus modeled. And they devoted themselves to prayer. What a beautiful contrast between the Gospels and Acts. Because my mind jumps right to the last time that these guys had an opportunity to pray with Jesus. Peter, James, and John, you know the story. In the garden, and Jesus is begging them, stay awake with me for a few hours and pray with me. And they couldn't even do that. And here we are in the first chapter of Acts, and they are devoting themselves, committing themselves to prayer. It's beautiful. Why? It's because they are learning to submit to what he says and when he says to do it. Why? Because they trust that he's good. They trust that he's good. But the submission doesn't stop there. It keeps rolling, keeps giving us more examples, more categories to kind of assess our own life through. In verse 15, it says, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. This is Judas Iscariot, the one who denied, or I mean, uh, betrayed Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. He was like, he was one of us. He was part of this. Then Luke goes on a little side tangent, just gives some clarifying details about Judas, how he took his own life. And there's a lot you could talk about in that, but we don't got time for it today. And then he picks up in verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate. Let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So he's quoting David from the Psalms in that moment. Again, a really interesting contrast as the followers of Jesus in Acts talk about Judas, the ultimate betrayer, the one who threw all of this off the rails in their minds oftentimes. Like I can't help but think again, what could this have been if, this is, if these were the disciples of the gospels? Like welcome to the roast of Judas Iscariot. That guy was the worst. Let's all say all the things we hate about him, right? this huge gripe session, or this like lamenting, this like sorrow that, oh, if only we could have stopped Judas from doing what he did. Think about where we could be. Think about how much more power we could have. Think about if Jesus would have actually overthrown the Roman government. If only we could have stopped that jerk Judas, things would be so much better for us. But instead, we see Peter of all people. This is amazing who in the Gospels looked Jesus in the face when Jesus told him, let him in on his plan for victory over sin and death and how it could only be accomplished through Jesus giving up his own life. Peter looked the Son of God in the face when he let him in on his master plan and said, nah, Jesus, you are crazy. We are not going to do that. I will not let you do that. You do not know what you're talking about. I will die before that happens. I will cut off people's ears all day long before I let that happen. It's not gonna happen. 
jump to here, we see him having this growing understanding that actually this is exactly how it had to go. He understood that scripture must be fulfilled, that that price must have been paid by Jesus. What we see here, especially in Peter, but in all, in, all of them, is a growing submission to Jesus' plan and Jesus' method. We see Peter and the other followers of Jesus here starting to catch the big picture of what Jesus' plan was. Not this small physical kingdom that would rise and fall eventually, but a kingdom that would go on forever, that would reach every corner of the globe, but would be built on a very, very different set of values. A life not uh, marked by power and ease and comfort, but instead a life that was willing to be poured out for the benefit of other people. What kept Peter from standing there and saying, Judas was the worst of the worst and he ruined all of our plans and there's just no recovering from this? It's because he is growing in his will willingness to defer to Jesus' plan. Finally, after all this time, and embrace even the hard to understand methods that Jesus has employed to execute it. He's submitting to them, even if he doesn't understand. As the passage finishes up, we get one more example, one more way how these people were growing in their willingness to defer to Jesus, to submit to Jesus. In verse 21, it says this. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So they decide, hey, we need to replace Judas. There's a lot of reasons, good reasons for that. Again, we don't have time to get into it today. But that was their criteria. Someone who's been there since the beginning. Since he was baptized by John, they saw him alive. That's who we're looking for here. Verse 23 says, and they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the place, or who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So real quick here, we, need, I, we just need to acknowledge this. Don't get hung up on the casting of lots thing, okay? It's, it's, it's one of those things that it's almost like it's a distraction from the main point because we're like, what does that mean? And, and those of us who are raised like in more conservative traditions are like, well, that sounds an awful lot like gambling. So I don't know if we should be talking about that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, suffice it to say, this was a pretty common practice, okay? Um, both for the Israelites and for most of the ancient world, okay? And I know it's foreign to us. I don't think it's a prescriptive thing. I don't think that's necessarily how we should be making decisions. I don't think that the uh, Board of Deacons is having their meeting and they're like, should, should Travis Edgerton get a raise? I don't know, let's roll the dice and see what, what, what we need to do here. That's not what's happening and that's not what's being advocated. Don't be distracted by that and miss the main point. What's actually happening here is we get to see this orderly, peaceful, Christ-like account of replacing Judas. And how different is this experience than most of the time in the Gospels when we see the disciples trying to make a decision? They were constantly fighting about who would be most powerful, who would be closest to Jesus, who would be the greatest, and on and on it goes. The disciples of the Gospels would have for sure made a massive mess of this whole situation. But instead, what do we see? We see them make some really good qualifications 
to who's going to replace this person and then present two different people as options and ultimately let God decide. What we see here is we see a growing submission to Jesus' control. That ultimately, at the end of the day, we get this picture of this group who, who are not trying to get the best for them out of the situation, but just really wants God, who knows the hearts of all of them and knows what's best to actually decide what's going to happen. And it's, and it's coming through a growing submission to his control in their life. And what we are going to get to see as we continue to walk through this book, it's going to take them to some really wild places. Really, really crazy, cool, wild places as they follow the Spirit's leading. And I believe that this is not just a helpful passage of Scripture to learn a little bit more about what submission is, but I actually feel like this is a pretty essential passage of Scripture for us as we consider living a life that is led by the Spirit. Because as I've spent time sitting on this and praying through this and thinking through this, I keep being led back to this one heavy realization for myself. I do not believe that the sequence of these events is something we should ignore. I, I do not think that the fact that this growing attitude and posture of submission comes before the outpouring of the power of the Holy Spirit, I do not think that that is a coincidence or something that we should ignore. I think it's deeply, deeply connected. I think those people were ready for what the Spirit wanted to do because they were already practicing a posture of submission to him. It leads me to this statement. It's one that I've been wrestling with, to be quite honest, and you can wrestle with it now too. So <laughs> it's this. To become aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing, we must become people who are willing to submit. I really do feel like this matters so deeply for us because there is a growing group of people in this church and there are a number of people in this room who all we want for our life is to live a life obedient to the Holy Spirit and to live a life of, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we wanna do that with other people who are also doing the same thing. And that's, that's all we want. Who cares what anything else in our life turns out to be? We just want to be people who are obedient to the Holy Spirit, can hear his voice, and will do what he says, and we want to do that with other people. But I keep coming back to this hard reality. I do not think that it will happen until we learn to position ourselves in a posture of submission. I don't think it'll happen. Because how in the world can we hear his voice if we are still holding on so tightly to all the things that make us comfortable or that we enjoy or that give us some kind of sense of control or safety? See, I think it's a really easy thing for us to say, hey, we want to be people who are led by the Spirit. It's a much, much more difficult thing to do to actually position ourselves in a posture of submission. And I think this passage of scripture is really, really helpful because it gives us a few categories to assess our life through. Maybe you look at this area and you see a few, a few parts of this where you're like, I am obviously still very, very uh, obsessed with keeping control over this particular area of my life. Maybe it's just one. Maybe it's all of them because that's where I'm at. 
Like as I run through this passage of scripture and start to assess my own life, I start to see the areas of my life where I am still holding so tightly. When it comes to our timing, I think every single person, American, modern American, we struggle with, with trying to keep control of our time. Just the reality is, because we live here, we have so much more ability to control our time. It's just, it's just a reality. We can decide what we do with it way more than a lot of other people in the world. So we have to choose to give it up. But are we willing? Are we willing to submit to God's timing, even if it interrupts what we want to do? I literally had this situation pop up like a week ago today. I was out at, the, I was out at a lake. We were paddleboarding. We were done. We were getting in the car. My kids were going wild. They were like starting the car and honking the horn. We were just trying to get out of there. I was trying to deflate my thing as fast as possible. And someone wanders over and begins a conversation. And my first instinct was, oh, come on, man. I just want to be done with this. I want to go home and chill for a little bit before students show up for home group. I just don't want to deal with this right now. And I would love, I would love to tell you that my attitude was different, but it wasn't. But I'm really grateful that the Holy Spirit like whacked me upside the head like really hard. He's like, dude, I am offering this up on a silver platter. Get with the program, man. This person we were talking to literally said, hey, you guys are Christians, aren't you? And I'm like looking, I'm like, do I have a cross point shirt on? Do, like, is there some camp thing? No, nothing. And so, and so like, okay, Holy Spirit, I guess I'll do this, right? I was super unwilling to submit my time to the Spirit, and I am really, really grateful that he broke through that. How much more, how many more opportunities would I have if I was just living a life that said, Whatever time I have, Jesus, it's yours. I can be interrupted. I can be late to things. I can miss out on things as long as you are leading my life. That's what I would rather be doing. Maybe you struggle more with submitting your plans to God, trusting that the way that he wants to bring about the plans in your life uh, is the way that they should go down, the way it can be trusted. It's funny, we all really, really love when uh, we talk about God having a plan for our life until that plan starts to look different than the plan that we have for our life, right? We really, really love it until the way that God wants to execute that plan in our life is a little bit difficult. I know for me, I've seen this. I, we've talked lots, uh, I've talked lots up here about our journey in foster care, and I don't wanna like beat a dead horse, but it is like the singular event that has made me see people as people created in the image of God more than any other situation I've ever been in. Like, it, like, I see people so different now than I did before we started this process, but it is also the singular most painful thing I've ever, ever done. It's the only thing in my life that I would actually say that that was suffering, the only thing. And God changed my whole heart toward people through it. It took a long time. For years, I resisted that because I thought that hey, life should be easy if we're doing what God tells us to do. But instead, he used a method that I was not comfortable with to show me exactly who he wanted, wanted me to be. Maybe for you, it's as simple as I just have a death grip on control. Man, it's so easy to do. In fact, if there's a person in the room now who doesn't struggle with trying to maintain control, I would love to meet you because I have questions. <laughs> because I think every single one of us, we feel safe and we feel comfortable when we have some semblance of control over our life. But what we see in the life of the disciples, these followers of Jesus in Acts, that before 
the Spirit came and used them to do powerful things, they were already getting on their knees and putting themselves into a position of submission to Jesus. And I can't help but think what a shame it would have been for the disciples of the Gospels to keep doing what they were doing and completely miss what was about to happen in chapter two. Luckily, they didn't. I'm grateful they didn't. But what a shame that would have been. And I start to think about myself and what a shame it would be for us, for our church, where we're at right now with all that God has stripped away and all that God has made clear for us over the last few years and right now, what an absolute tragedy it would be for us to stand here with our fists clenched so tight around the meaningless things that we think give us value and we think uh, will bring us comfort and we think will bring us purpose. What a tragedy it would be to stand here with our fists clenched so tight and completely miss what the Spirit is about to do. I know for me, I'm just speaking like pretty candidly, I won't do it. I'm not gonna do it. And I think there's a bunch of people in this room, like you're feeling the same things, like I will not do this. I will not miss what the Spirit is doing because I'm holding so tightly to things that do not matter. And so I will open my hands and I will not hold so tightly my time and my plans and how God wants to bring about growth in my life. Instead, I will submit them to you. When we do, this is the beautiful part. This is the encouraging part. Next week, a bunch of people who are submitted to Jesus get to see the Spirit break out, maybe for the first time in their lives. And I think the same is true for us. If we live lives of submission to Jesus, we're gonna get to see the Spirit do some wild stuff. Are we willing to do it? Because I do believe that this is where it starts. Committing ourselves to a posture of submission to Jesus' way. Now, like I said before, it's really easy to say that with our mouths. It's a lot harder to live that out. And so we want to give just an opportunity to physically respond. If you're in this place where you're like, I, I want my life to be marked by submission to Jesus because I want to be able to hear the Spirit when he speaks and when he leads. And so how we're going to do that this morning is band's going to come up. They're going to play a song, which honestly makes for a great prayer of submission to Jesus. But it can be, like I said, it can be so easy for us to just sit there and sing these words and say these words and let our response to Jesus when he calls start with our mouths, but also end with our mouths. And we don't want to do that. We want people that are on the move, that are submitted to God with our whole selves. And so we want to give you an opportunity to respond physically so that your body, physical body, matches the position of your heart. And there's a number of ways you can do that. Like if you want to just like raise your hands as a act of surrender to God and submission to God, go for it. Like if you need to like bow down, get on your knees or sit in the, in the pew and surrender to Jesus, go for it. If you need to find like a dark corner somewhere, go for it and need to have a talk with Jesus. If you need to talk to somebody around you, go for it. But we also wanted to offer one other way. The prayer team is gonna come down here and usually at the end of the service, they're up here and people can come forward if they want we want to give you the opportunity today that if you want your physical body to match the position of your heart in a posture of submission and surrender to Jesus, we'd encourage you during this last song at some point, come forward. Come forward to pray. Man, if you're chugging along and you just want some more encouragement, awesome. If you're like, man, I have my fists closed tightly on some stuff that I need to let go of, then awesome, come forward. 
You can be prayed for. You can talk through what it is that you're wrestling with. You can pray for them. We're, we're one big family. There's, they're not special. <laughs> like, like, we can pray with each other as we all commit ourselves to submission so that we can see the Spirit break out. So would you stand with me? We'll start in the kind of this position of standing. And, it, and however you want to physically respond, my encouragement, my challenge is do not let your response start and end with your mouth. Make sure that the rest of you follows. Would you pray with me? Jesus. We really, really want this to be true of our lives, to have a completely focused, singular, undivided heart and affection and response to you. But man, that can be scary. God, I pray that if there are people here that just need to be bold to step out and, and just bring someone along in this journey of submission to you, Lord, that we would do that. Lord, if we need to get alone with you and hash through some stuff, God, I pray that we'd be obedient to do that. And God, as we leave this place, as we go through our life and as we try to hear your voice, God, would you just remind us of what our part in all this is, which is just to submit over and over and over again. Because in our weakness, we are strong because you are. Jesus, would you lead us? Would you be with us? Would you compel us to action, either in this room or as we leave, as we hear your voice this morning? We love you. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.